Well, welcome one and all to another beautiful episode of the podcast. Broadcasting to you live from La Jolla, as usual. We're going on a week, weekly Monday schedule, so keep your ears out for a Monday episode every Monday. We're going to give it our best shot here. On today's show, and it's a really good one, we have Orda Lucina. Orda is the owner and founder of Prima Materia Institute, a art school here in San Diego. We talk about her whole journey. She's from Soviet Union. She's been teaching art for you know 30 plus years. She comes from an art dynasty. We talk about her father. Uh, we talk about how she teaches art. How you know she really sees that everyone has the potential to become a brilliant artist. And then there's immense value in, in trying to do that by because while doing that, while learning how to do art, you actually unlock um, yourself. You you are able to see past your ego, kind of like mindfulness and meditation. Talk about Russian culture, Russian propaganda and brainwashing, and freedom suppression, and how that almost causes a what manifests as a brain injury. We talk about her approach to teaching art, like how you have to learn with your ears, have to have to have a mentor to do it properly. She gives us great advice across the board, including a, a book that I haven't read, but she recommends highly by Thomas Mann. Um, I pick her brain on my most current idea. The Adventures of Pavel the Little Potato and how to really do a children's book. How I can potentially do a children's book. That would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? We talk about investing in art by buying it fresh from the easel. Fresh from the easel. That sounds very fresh. And how paint and wine isn't really art, but, you know, kind of fun. At the end of the day, this was a great episode, a great listen. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here it is, fresh out of the oven. Okay. Yeah, we're doing it Soviet style. So we like, stop, baby. Like it or not, you will know it. You'll know uh, perspective. I love that idea. You'll understand perspective. Yeah, so it's style. It's like when I say to my students, when they ask me a question, I say, well, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. Like, not here. <laughs> no, not <laughs> here. This um, well, welcome to the podcast. Let's go. We have another beautiful episode. And today we have Olya Losina. Did I get it right? Yeah, you did. Okay, good. Welcome to the show. Thank you Thank for you. being here. Um, so I'll give people a little background on you. So you come from Moscow, you moved to the States, to La Jolla a while back now, and your passion to life has always been art. And I think I'm, I'm very curious to learn more about, you know, art, your whole journey from like Soviet Union and how we were just talking, we had a friend over, we were just talking about like the difference in teaching between America and the Soviet Union. Which I think is very fascinating. What did you say? You said Soviet style is like no matter you might not want to, but you'll learn it. Yeah, and uh, I think that kids in the Soviet Union would really, if they knew how Americans, American kids, um, I thought they would be really envious. But um, looking back now, I'm really happy that uh, they did the way they did it with. Uh, what do you think is the difference? Like they force you, but what if you're like, don't understand physics? Well, the physics, um, school physics is designed to be understood. The, if you don't yeah. uh, learn and don't listen and don't read, then you will not understand it. But if you do, if you pay yeah. attention, you will. You don't so think just, uh, some people just can't do it because they're just, you know, for some reason it just doesn't add up in their minds or just levels of intelligence. I actually don't believe that. I think that everyone is brilliant in every direction. Okay. In art, everyone. 
everyone. Okay. So people who uh, know how to paint, they know that they can paint. People okay. who don't know how to paint, don't know that they can paint. Yeah. So they just never had an opportunity or never had a, a right mentor to teach them. For example, my daughter, one of my daughters, didn't understand math when she was in elementary school. Okay. And I thought, mm, she is so smart. She, uh, it's just uh, uh, silly. She's uh, not using the right uh, part of the brain to do math. She's, she cannot figure it out. So yeah. I sat down and I explained to her how yeah. math works. Yeah. And she became excellent at math. And, and in high was it, school, like she was... Like the, she was struggling with like you said elementary school. She was school? struggling with elementary school math, yeah. which I it's my level elementary sure. school math. So <laughs> I could teach her yeah. that. And um, in high school, so she got it. She grasped it. She understood how to approach it. Yeah. And uh, in high school, it was the easiest thing for her. Interesting. Uh, for example, she had a test uh, on math, and I said, "How did you do?" I was done like in 10 <laughs> minutes. It was the easiest thing. To, and she, I was out of there. Yeah. And so was my son. When he, But uh, with him, I had, um, uh, I rewarded him with math instead of candy when he was little, when he was three. <laughs> so um, he uh, loved math because for him it was a reward. It was uh, How is it his a reward? Favorite, favorite thing in the world. Like but I it? said, okay, you were good today. We're going to do equations with X and, and Y. And he wasn't particularly very good at it, but he, he loved doing that. It was his special time that, like he's, Interesting. that he earned for being good. And after that, he, um, he became fascinated with math. And he uh, liked it and always was surprised when somebody didn't like it or wasn't good do at it. Do you think... Like, it's easy. It's so it's... Just, do you just think you could have done the same thing with anything else with him and been like oh I don't know reading let's say you've been good let's read as a matter of fact when I was in the Soviet Union I invented a way to teach one-year-olds to read okay so I experimented that system uh, with that system with my son okay he was one uh, and a half one and a few months Uh, I started teaching him letters and he started to read and then I wrote down that system and gave to his kindergarten teacher mm-hmm. and she tried it and she said wow it works so well with uh, three-year-olds then Interesting. so uh, I brought the system to the US I translated it into English and um, when I came in 91 here I um, for a year I worked as a nanny yeah uh, living nanny for a family and they had a one and a half year old and I taught him to to read that's so cool in so Russian when, or in English in English oh, wow. in English so when the father returned from work uh, there was a newspaper laying on the floor and that little uh, boy Russell was uh, crawling on that newspaper M-O-N-T and it's like oh my god I didn't get any credit for it and it didn't really go anywhere. What's the what's like the hook on the system? Is it hard to explain? It's easy to explain, but if I explain it I won't be able to publish it. I need oh, to publish it first. You should definitely publish it. Yeah, definitely. 
But I did try to publish it, and I was looking, it was 92, I was trying to find literary agent who would yeah. be interested in promoting that. Yeah. And everybody in 92, but that was different times, but every literary agent whom I contacted would tell me the same thing, like, why would you want to teach one and a half year old to read? Why would you deprive them of their childhood? Why would you? Are they crazy? Them? What do you mean? That, the reading is yes, awesome. Yes, but now it's a different time. Now everybody wants their children to be ahead, to learn, to yeah. expand, to open their mind. But back then it was different. Interesting. Huh. I didn't find any interest, any interest at all. So you moved from Moscow in you said ninety one. Um, to did you move to San Diego? Mm-hmm. How was that? How was that experience moving from? Um, because 91 was, in Russia is like unlawful crazy mafia times from my understanding uh, it was empty stores yeah it was absolutely nothing no food you had to hunt for food to find something to yeah. eat you had to get on the bus and drive around Moscow to find the store that would have something yeah so in you would go in the store and you would say uh, uh, what do you have and they will say, we have nothing. Or they will say, we have butter yeah. today. Yeah. It's like, oh, you better grab it. You better get as much as you can yeah. so you get to all your friends and family members. It was a really difficult and very time-consuming. That was the annoying part, how time-consuming it was to live. Just to live, just to survive. Because that that was the uh, very inconvenient to be there and try to work or be somebody. So, of course, you had no time for any creativity you just uh, get to work or your money what were you doing back then i was an art director at the publishers oh fancy international publishers uh, were making books uh, for every country in the world for every country on on their languages yeah except two countries and it's still mystery why uh the only two languages we did not have Greek and Chinese. Interesting, okay. Every uh, one else, all 18 languages of India, I can still distinguish every <laughs> single one of them from one another. I don't know how they sound and how to yeah. read them, but they can, by looking, I can see this is Canada, this is Telugu, this is Malayalam, this is uh, Hindi. And these were Russian books Gujarati. being published in mm-hmm. all these different mm-hmm. languages? All Russian books published in different languages. So it's like spreading... Russian classic literature, children's literature, art. How old were you when you first started making art? I was... I, I always did. Because my, uh, my parents are artists. And uh, when I was three, I already had callus on my finger from painting and drawing all the time. And my grandmother would <laughs> look at it and say, does it hurt? <laughs> That's amazing. So I looked up your dad, right? He's like a famous illustrator. Mm-hmm. I found him you on the Wik- him yeah, I found him on the Wikipedia, on Russian mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Oh yeah. Um, was Vinamin Losin, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And like he's got like all these children's books. Um, and so you grew up with that. Do you know where he like? Where did he get his passion for art? Did he was he was he also born into it? No, not at all. He was uh, unicum. He was. Uh, um, What's that mean? Like unique individual. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's a Russian word. Um, his family uh, had nothing to do with art at yeah, all. So yeah. he was absolutely unique. He was drawing all the time and his family had great respect to it. 
to yeah. his talent. Yeah. So when his sister was told, for example, go get firewood, and she'd say, hey, what about uh, Vinyamin? And they'd say, no, he's drawing. <laughs> he's drawing. He's Interesting. Drawing. In, while being a student in the art school, he was already making so much money working for the publishers already mm-hmm. that he could buy a car while being a student, which is... That's amazing, very, unheard of. Very, uh, yeah. That's cool. It was 50, so it was 50... 1950-something in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And so he, so there's a, so he had a natural talent, do you think? Yes, he did. Do you, and he, do you think he passed it on to you? Um, well, that's what I thought always, that it's a gene or it's uh, just uh, exposure, because I could see that everything... Uh, like every illustration is being made and I watched it being made with a brush in hand mm-hmm. so I could see that it's man-made stuff yeah. because people want to see they see uh, books they feel oh, it came that way mm. so with that exposure of course it was natural for me to do the same thing like babies always children learn by imitating uh, but so now I'm proving that every person in the world has talent, artistic talent. Yeah. I take people who have absolutely nothing, even um, no potential visible, none. Right. They do something for uh, in their first trial, and my not me, but my brain wants to say wants to say uh, it's pretty hopeless. There's nothing there. Right. And then that uh, little seed, that little dot that looks like nothing, turns into an amazing plant with incredible bloom, something so unique that the world has never seen before. Yeah. So if you cultivate it, if you uh, put it on the right um, fertile soil, yeah. something amazing comes out of it. Interesting. I wonder if that's... Every, every yeah. 100%, 100%, never, ever had a failure, never had anyone who, well, with two people, I had to pronounce them hopeless <laughs> because they were not listening. Mm. Their ego was so huge that they could not bring themselves to listening. And that's the only thing that... Uh, yeah, the ego is kind of... What do you think about the ego? I think that uh, uh, ego prevents us from doing our best, from showing our brilliance. So with the ego, you can get to the level of good or even excellent, but mm-hmm. it's a different kind of excellence. It's not surprising excellence, mm-hmm. it's like achieved excellence. Mm-hmm. You feel an effort, you see an effort in it, you see labor behind it. But brilliance is when it's effortless, when it's like Mozart, when it's like right, right, right. born that way. And that, do you think, happens without That's ego? That's what I'm bringing people. Do you think art making is like a innate human thing? In terms of ability, yes. Just like speaking and... Um, yeah, like speech reading. is natural for humans, right? Yeah, yeah. Like walking. Drawing, right? People have been drawing things, so it's a... Uh... But art is not just drawing. Art... Art is not at all drawing. What is art? I mean, I know it's just... Drawing is not about drawing. Painting is not about painting. It's what is a, it about? Drawing is um, develops your ability to see. Okay. And when you learn how to see and you learn the methods how to express what you see, now you're drawing. 
So if you, um, through drawing, you begin to understand who you are. You begin to understand your yeah. authentic self. Hmm. You learn how to communicate. You understand your relationship, your place in the world, and your relationship with other people. And you begin to feel like you're part of the, like there's no them, that you are yeah. everyone. That through drawing, through you're, drawing, you're through painting, to do through that. art, through art, you get in that place. It's a. Um, hmm. Can you tell me more about like when you're? It sounds like maybe you've achieved it a little bit. It's like. I ended, walk me through I, like I what's know, happening. I know how to help people achieve that. What about That's yourself? What I do. I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. I I had. Um, uh, I don't know if I want to talk about that. Okay. Uh, don't. Okay. It's it's relevant. I uh, had a car accident. I may have told you about that. Okay. Where I lost my short term memory yeah. and completely lost my ability to paint. Yeah. Like in uh, that moment, it was gone. Like That's pretty scary. And today, I could not, uh, couldn't paint anymore. I could uh, lots of things that I couldn't do any longer, like recite things that I just heard. Like I couldn't remember music, the new music. That I heard. Lyrics, yeah. Uh, everything that I knew before, million songs and uh, yeah. melodies, I retained that. But nothing new, no matter how simple, would not stick any longer. That was really interesting. Scary. Experience. Uh, very interesting for me was to observe it. So yeah. in one uh, side of me was the handicap, handicapped person. The other side was the scientist observing with great curiosity what was happening mm -hmm. that um, mm -hmm. uh, dysgraphia and dyslexia that was happening which was how did it incredible. go away uh, it took three years wow. and uh, ten years of headache wow. um, and it gradually regrew I guess all the neural connections regrew back uh, but um, I was teaching before that and I continued teaching interestingly like on this next day after the accident I went to my class to teach it mm -hmm. and nobody noticed anything other than uh, the bruises and uh, mm -hmm. bloody spots on my face uh, and uh, nobody of course knew that I had the bruise the size of oh my, my chest I could walk nothing was broken even though it was pretty bad mm, concussion and my, my key that I had to open the studio with was bent at 90 degrees on my knee. That somehow the ignition, uh, that key was in the yeah. ignition, and other keys were sticking, is hanging on the same yeah. keychain. And one went into my knee and bent over the bone wow. to 90 degrees. And I had to open the studio door with that key. <laughs> so the impact was pretty crazy. Crazy, yes. Um, uh, but uh, interestingly that it was not noticeable it was noticeable for me because I had a headache and I had to hold on to things because I had this suffering this blackout mm -hmm. uh, and, um, but teaching you could teach because that's like your long term memory I was off, off of my old uh, experiences of knowledge right. uh, but uh, if somebody asked me something I would say oh just a second I'll be with you I would never be with them because I would immediately forget that I promised. So that yeah. was, I'm sure, very annoying yeah. for the students. And they wouldn't assign it to my 
uh, lack of memory because I look normal, I spoke right. normally. They would just she she is I I don't like um, <laughs> teaching <that> teacher. style. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Okay. Mm-hmm. So ninety one. It's sounds like life in Russia is pretty brutal, and then you move to glorious San Diego. Is that was that like a big shift? I mean, I can't imagine the shift from Moscow then to what I imagine San Diego is. Uh, do you speak was, English? I did. I, okay, that's I, huge. I went to a specialized English school, so I spoke really good English. So I felt that I am. I am in my own culture. For the first time, I am in the place where everybody listens to the music that I like, yeah. that I always listen what to. What did you used to listen to? Uh, Jeff Rotal, BG, sure. Sonia and Cher, yeah. and... Uh, all that good stuff. All that I like stuff, that stuff, yeah. yeah. And um, in Russia, you have to own this music to listen to it. Then nobody else, I mean, other than our circle, of course, our circle, everybody listen yeah. to the same music, watch the movies that we had to on on tape. Were you fascinated with American culture before you got here? Yes, it was my my religion, American culture. America is where I wanted to be yeah. all my life. All my uh, friends would say because they were artists. Most of them, they would say, I would love to go to Italy, or I would love to go to Paris. Yeah. And I would say, I only want to go to the U.S. Why? Why do you think? Um, I felt that's where the freedom is. Yeah, sure. And I love the language. I, uh, we were taught uh, British English. We were um, made to speak with the British pronunciation. And I picked up American pronunciation from some of my friends who would go to Washington DC yeah. for the summer then they would come back and they would speak with uh, American, American accent yeah and I felt that American accent is so pure <laughs> I love that crispness and that whispering of British I despised I didn't yeah. like that Interesting. I, it felt funny to me did you so I imitated an uh, American accent in my, <laughs> in my classes and I would always be reprimanded for it because <laughs> Um, they would always correct me, but it was not correctable. I chose to speak that. Fascinating. Um, yeah, I was also really fascinated with American culture back in the 90s in Russia. And like, I just remember when we were in Moscow for an interview, for like our immigration interview. And um, I, I got like a, I, there's a picture of me in some jacket with my, my dad and my uncle and, and like me drinking like a Pepsi out of a glass bottle and I just felt so cool drinking this Pepsi like maybe we, maybe we got McDonald's or something and I don't think there was McDonald's in Perm at that, at that time yet so I, I you know you watch all these movies you do all this stuff it really it imprints like the idea of Hollywood just like America freedom do you still do you think we have I mean this is not a perfect country I still personally feel like it's better than most and like to a degree we have more freedom than I think any other country has what do you think? Do you think we have our freedom? Yeah, here people, people complaining about uh, being here. And of course, there are lots of things that can be improved. Yeah. But in comparison, of course, it's the best. Of yeah. course. And it's absolutely uh, amazing. The first time I went back to Russia after I uh, 
uh, yeah. had come to the U.S. was five years later. Okay. And the first thought in the airport after I got out in the, out of the airport in Moscow, um, I remember my thoughts like, "What? People still live here?" <laughs> and I saw children. People still make kids here yeah. to live here. Yeah. I was. I remember that surprise because I felt like I left. So everybody else, why would they? Why yeah, would you yeah, stay? Yeah. And many people were trying to leave. Trying to yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah. win the green card, and yep. some people were winning and still want to. Still today. And that's why all the oligarchs and all the wealthy people send their kids to study in the U.S. Hundred percent. Because they want them to inhale that free culture yeah the to come back and be kind of um, uh, like an American, American. Free, free person How free soul interesting so did you you've, so you've visited I haven't been back since I we talked about this before like I haven't been back since I left in 96 mm-hmm. you've came you, you visit fairly often mm-hmm. I go twice a year how three times okay so you really have a good snapshot of how life has changed in Russia, what what's your assessment of like for people that want to visit today? What do you, what, how would you describe? Uh, I would recommend for Americans to visit because um, it's interesting. The propaganda in Russia makes Americans uh, really tries to paint Americans to be stupid and uh, all the money driven <laughs> and fake smiling and artificial and and simple people plain people in the suburbs they, they believe that they really buy that because it's pleasant right justifies them being nobody right but um, uh, still I think attitude to Americans like they're gods when you see uh, an American on the street of Moscow you can immediately from the distance from a mile away you can see an American just like when I uh, see people in San Diego, I see a person walking towards you me. You can see a Russian. Totally. <laughs> a Russian. And then she's on the phone. <laughs> Confirmed. Like, I knew it. Oh, that's the best. I yeah. don't know how. By the way people gaze, by the way people walk, by yeah. the, the way they move. 100%. I think that uh, imprisonment in, of the mind that ha- is happening, still happening in Russia, affecting the brain. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm going to say next is going to be uh, something that I um, never told anyone. But when I was um, I had my brain injury, I went to um, uh, Acquired Brain Injury Program, amazing program. We are so lucky in San Diego. It's the only place that has brain injury program that's free. Everybody, wow, okay, That's awesome. it was amazing. The counselors that help you to regrow these neural connections, that train you to remember, uh, teach you all these devices how to live yeah. because otherwise, you 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 know can leave the stove on and yeah, you know, all these dangerous things that can happen. Um, uh, what was I, why was I talking about? Uh, the story you haven't told anybody before, something about oh, brain yeah, injury. Oh yeah, yeah, and they showed us all kind of videos about different kind of injuries and how people still succeed and how they turn it into even business sometimes, trying to help because every one of us, and it was a large group, I don't know, probably 
50 people, if maybe 100 people, yeah. uh, all with different uh, degree of injuries and different degree of damage and different uh, cause. Um, they all were there separated in different groups depending on the interests or um, objective. And uh, once in a while they'll, they show us these movies and once there was a film, video, documentary about the conference where all the people with the brain injury were gathered. Okay. And they showed us this audience. They are uh, Americans. They all look like Russians. And I thought, huh, that is really interesting. They were behaving like Russians. Like what they oh, recognized in Russia. So gotcha. it is what is happening in Russia and what was happening in the Soviet Union for decades is in a way some kind of brain injury, that yeah. damage that's happening, that suppression of the freedom. It's not just adjustment of the behavior. Mm -hmm. It is much, much deeper. That's it. That's interesting. Do you, uh, I did. Mm. I really wanted to someone to work with somebody who would uh, want to do the research on that because it would be very interesting to. I don't know how to it's do hard it. Hard to but, do it, yeah, probably. But it would be probably observing just uh, behavior responses. Just have to be very cleverly designed, but it is possible. Any research is possible. Yeah, twins. Maybe get like a twin that moves to America, a twin that stays in Russia. Follow some twins and see what happens to them. Um, do you think Russia will ever be able to? I, no, I, don't I always, know. when somebody would ask me uh, before, I would say, "Well, maybe in the hundred years." That's what I used to say. Fifty, I would say. <laughs> now I don't know. I anymore. would not. I would not say fifty. I would say hundred years <laughs> because I realized how uh, how deep the roots of that all that. Uh, bureaucracy and uh, lying and uh, this I don't know what to call them the special interests uh, yeah. the theory it is so how how would you change that what do you start with do you start with education do you start with building camps prisons to imprison mm -hmm. criminals <laughs> yeah. do, do you start with uh, just forget the adults they're gone you cannot do anything with them start with kids but who would allow you to do that? Like, um, there's no um, free speech. So education is not possible. It's as soon as you start educating people through art, and they, uh, and somebody notices that the, those people begin to think, open their mind, uh, it will be right away closed under some. Yeah. Premise. They have like an amazing propaganda control machine in Russia. Like it's, I think, the best in the world. Maybe even better than China's. It's I, it's developed now with the technology because they appropriate immediately the best of the technology that exists. Yeah, uh, I'm sure KGB owns the best, of best, course. best. That's yeah, huh, too bad. And it's it's very sad. It's uh, I think it's worth uh, worth worse than it was before yeah there was some inkling of freedom in the early 90s even though it was so like lawless it was in uh, when was it 85 85 when Perestroika and Glasses was amazing time amazing yeah. 
I remember I was digging in the garden, weeding, and I would always have my radio with me. Uh, everything that was happening, the, all the truth was coming out. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. All the stories, all the history, the true history started to get disclosed. Books were published that we never had access to, just only heard about. So it was, we couldn't get enough of it. It was like drinking from a fire hose. It was so, such an exciting time. But um, uh, the people who mm, got the power next uh, got corrupted very quickly. Oh yeah, they're just... We thought before, hmm. we had thought before, as long as, as soon as things are named, as soon as the truth is told, you cannot any longer be corrupt or steal. You cannot have Soviet Union any longer. Right. And in Perestroika, it turned out, the things are started to be named, people started to be named, the whole truth comes out, so it just turned into cynicism. Yeah, I did it, so what? Yeah, interesting. And um, that, that's how it switched, from being secret to being cynical. And it's still okay, basically. Like that's, the people accepted it as like, okay, fine. Uh, like the cynicism... People who are not accepting it, they cannot do anything because... Uh, they leave if they can, otherwise they either leave or they're um, shot. Yeah, I mean, literally. That's kind of crazy. Um... Yeah, Russia. Putin is still in power and continues to stay in power. And it's a tough one because I really do want to visit the country. Maybe I will one day, but um, I think it's it's challenging right now. You came here and you see the kind of difference in the freedom. And it sounds like you're like, this is exactly like, this is awesome. This is why I signed up for. This is how it should be. This is how it should be. And how did you... I really enjoyed the people. I really enjoyed their sense of humor the um, openness, the uh, always being in good spirit. I remember uh, the, the girl that, that I lived with uh, when they just came to the US, her daughter was sick, very sick. I could see the child has probably fever and, and uh, feeling really bad and I said, Natalie, how are you? And she said, fine. That was amazing. Yeah. That was just... Uh, what do you think the Russians So incredible say? to me. That really showed to me what American culture is fine. Everything is fine. In, if I asked any Russian, how are you? If they feel bad, they will tell you all about it. How yeah. bad it is. So, so which one... Why... It, isn't honesty good? I mean, why do you need somebody's problem? If you, if to you, burden someone else if with your you, problems. If you really care, then you will ask again. It's like, how are you? doesn't mean that you're interested. Yeah. So kind of deal cleverly with it instead of just uh, spilling the truth. I think Americans are very clever. In Much more clever than Russians. Even though cleverness in terms of social, social cleverness. Yeah. Like, uh, Americans are very good actors playing the role of citizens in this life. Yeah. And Russians have to invent how to live, how to communicate, how to socialize. Yeah. They don't have it naturally in them. Interesting. It's like not part of the culture. Struggle. Right, right. It has to be 
uh, kind of invented by each person individually. Hmm. And Americans are sort of uh, raised into it, into that culture of living, culture of being, that intelligent communication. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, like you said, like Russia thinks that, oh, Americans with their fake smiles and, oh, why do they ask me, how are you? They don't actually want to know. They take that as a negative. And you're saying, actually, that's a positive, like the way we interact with each other and kind of treat each other with some, like, positivity, friendliness. And it's, it's, it's beautiful because it doesn't leave you with negative residue. For example, uh-huh. after five years in the U.S., I went back to Russia and I realized that my behavior now is not Russian any longer. For example, it was a really strange year where in the fall, where it's supposed to be cold already, it was unusually hot and everybody told, told me, you brought probably this heat from California. And um, I'm sure you do. I remember it was October and October already snowing sometimes and it's very windy and it's raining. It's really unpleasant. And in that October, it was hot. Yeah. I was wearing sleeveless t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, yeah. but Russians weren't. They were wearing their autumn clothes, <laughs> uh, long sleeve jackets, padded, and sweaters, and and they were like putting uh, them off of their shoulders because it was hot, but kind of in disbelief because it, it's just such an anomaly. And I remember walking on the street and watching uh, a sweating woman uh, wearing her winter coat and I said what an amazing weather isn't it just we were just uh, on the street passing each other by and she looked at me with such like do I know you who are you what what do you want from me so this is kind of what would never happen in the US it would be just if you like don't bother me would be just a smile polite smile and it doesn't leave you with the bad feeling yeah it leaves you the same the way you were but that attitude leaves you with like Okay, don't forget you have to guard yourself. Don't forget there is a fence yeah. between us. Hmm. Interesting. Remember, we are not related. We are nobody. I'm, I don't care about you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. always reminded about this. It's in, you know in socialist culture, it's like oh everybody for the state, everybody together. But in reality, actually everybody's for themselves, and that's that's really the communist way. Is for you and your family, everything else doesn't really matter. You mean about Russia? Yeah. Well, I would say that about the U.S. Yeah. It's just, uh, I'm talking about external behavior, how it does not damage anybody. But on the deep level, it may be exactly vice versa. In the U.S., Hmm. everybody is for themselves much more than in Russia. In Russia, people deeply care. For who? But they choose for who they care, not for everybody. For them, it doesn't, there's no such thing as uh, humanity. It's like family, friends, neighbors. And for Americans, oh, that's interesting. It's more like oh, that's funny. there's humanity. I want to help. Do, do you like help like social causes? Like so, uh, I'm 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 not very good at supporting causes, even though I care for people that, for example, there's like this organization, Lasagna Mama, and it's an organization that connects people that can make a lasagna for a family, like a single mom who's busy and working, who doesn't have time to make food, so like, they connect you, you make lasagna, you deliver it to them, whatever, and then this family can have a hot, homemade meal. It's fantastic. I mean, I admire people who do that. I don't. I don't do yeah. that. I 
think it's and a Russian reason, thing inside of you? The reason, no, 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 no. It's, uh, it's completely different. I don't do what other people can do. I do things that other people cannot do. Okay, fair enough. If I see that nobody else is able to help, I'll do it. Oh, it's not because, like, for example, maybe maybe what you can do is teach art to like socioeconomically disadvantaged kids. Exactly. What I do, nobody else can do. There's no one else. Right. And you want to you want to like lean in into your unique because offering I to the can world. Change, I can help people achieve something. Without me, they will not be able to achieve. And I can help, and I would like to as sure. many people as I can. And um, in order to do that, I need help, of course. I cannot be a one-man orchestra. So I train teachers. I train, yeah. train other teachers to teach the way I teach. Yeah. To understand how to teach, to help people on a very deep level. To become authentically artistic. To feel not just that they can mm. create paintings and drawings, but enjoy it. To mm -hmm. feel that's the place of joy it's um, it's not about the result it's not about painting but it's about the process do you draw like yourself for fun mm -hmm. I do what, what kind of stuff anything everything? I don't really uh, draw for fun because or, or paint for fun because for me I die, die very deeply into it and very quickly so if I submerge myself into painting all of a sudden, the world disappears, and I don't care about anybody. My family yeah. would disappear from me. Yeah. I will not want to hear from them. Yeah. I will be uh, wanting to be solitary. For days and or like for hours? For, for days. All I need is just food delivered in the right time yeah. uh, when I need it. And, uh, and otherwise, do not disturb me. That's the place, um, kind of a state of being alone, okay. art making. Yeah. You cannot be interrupted. For you, or do you think that's for everybody? When you are able to go deep, then yeah. for everybody. Everyone. Yeah. And sense. also because I don't do it very often, so I cannot function with a balanced brain. I go all the way to In, the other side. Uh -huh. But people who are painting more every day, habitually, they're able to retain their social uh, ability. I can't. I can't because I it, it needs to be developed the ability to be polite and social and uh, still a family interesting person when's the last time you did one of these locked in the room mm, painting probably, things probably um, I don't know five years ago oh it's been a while yeah maybe more did you ever like try to make art to sell was that ever like a plan for you um uh, well, in that state of mind, you cannot think about selling. There's, it doesn't exist. Selling is too cold-minded. Before you start, I'm saying like, did you oh, ever want well, to be like, I want to... Every artist always, of course, uh, hopes that there will be people who will want what yeah. you do. But you, I, you don't want to work into that, in that ho into that hope or expectation or that taste that maybe what you... Painting what you want to paint is not going to be a sellable because you want to paint with dark colors and nobody in California likes that. 
so you <laughs> want to do brighter painting, but that's not what your soul desires yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you really don't because it becomes not authentic. And when it's not authentic art, it's commercial art. And commercial art is called minded. And it actually projects from the painting. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it. You can yeah. totally, totally feel it. Not everybody will feel it, but those who... Um, hmm, interesting. Who know art deeply, they... they How long have you been teaching art then, rather than just making it? Uh, before 91. You already Russia. started teaching? Yeah, yeah. I was teaching, preparing for college kids for college but uh, in 91 no I wasn't teaching in 91 I was working as a housekeeper and babysitter for a year but after that I opened my own school that's impressive did you always want to like have your own business never thought of that never had never thought of that being in, in Soviet Union what would I like to be I thought that when I if I come to the US I will wear a white wig, a ballerina skirt, <laughs> uh, uh, insane jewelry, like crazy makeup, or like I thought the freedom means that I can be whoever I want. Right. And I discovered that it's not so at all. I, it's actually more free in Russia in terms of fashion. <laughs> it's so conservative. That really surprised me. It always surprised me how people were reacting to uh, paintings and drawings of nudes. Yeah. People are very uh, uncomfortable, and in Russia, it's it's really totally, so. Totally, totally. Did you like paint nudes and people and then display it to people, and they were not comfortable? In Russia. Here, in the states. Uh, like, what do you mean that you, people are uncomfortable? How did you How did you notice that? The people. Oh, in the, in so many different ways. For example, uh, I always have interview families when they want their child to be to go into um, art college and they applying to our portfolio program that we teach mm -hmm. so before we accept them uh, we interview them to make sure that they that the child actually actually chose to be an artist it's not the parents that pushing sure. them in that direction so the parents have to be there too because they're decision makers mm -hmm. and um, I remember asking so uh, that one of the questions so on uh, a part of the portfolio you have to draw a human body nude human body mm -hmm. uh, so you have to be okay with that and the girl said I'm okay with that and the parents the father said I think it's too early for her and I said well we How all are she? naked and under our, bo uh, under like our clothes 15, 16, and uh, she's uh, old enough to know that <laughs> um, fascinating she was 17 18 she was old enough but the father father said to me we are a religious family we cannot allow that so religious family yeah uh, do you ever go to museums up. do you see these paintings and she wants to be an artist and she needs to yeah. know how to express the human body in clothes and in order to do that you have to know what's under the clothes to be able to i love that yeah to, to, to paint that and um I said, I cannot, and he said, can't she do everything except the <laughs> drawing and painting? I said, no, I can't accept you. Yeah, good. So, too bad for the girl. Too bad for the girl. She had these bad paintings. Do you think our concept of, like, um, the, the female form or what we consider beautiful has changed over time? 
because I'm thinking about like the Renaissance paintings and like I, I'm sure people do nudes today though I can't think of one because I don't follow like that scene the classic uh, yeah like it's changed right like the classic kind of rosy more rounded figure let's say was like the supreme form now you it's can't really I don't know washboards by, by um by even by renaissance painting what was the their ideal i mean youth was always valued yeah um health was always valued right. and it's still relevant today but so often the great masters painted their girlfriends or their wives because they didn't have the money for the nude models right. or prostitutes so whoever yeah. they had in hands and often in the painting you see the same person posing as different characters on the mm -hmm. same painting and it's not necessarily chosen by its beauty mm, I it's, see. Chose, it's just whoever was available and when you are in that state of mind when you're diving like what I described you're diving into art and you're not discerning what's right what's wrong it's like it is what it is Mm -hmm. It's here and now, and nothing else uh, matters, and nothing else exists. You can't really change what you see. It's like if there is a model, and you just think, well, yeah, I'll just beautify her. I'll just make her eyes a little larger, or cheeks a little rosier. But you cannot do that. In that state of mind, it's not available to you. That pragmatic thinking right. is not there. Right. That executive function is not there. It right. all goes away with the ego. The ego goes away, yeah. and... Uh, that kind of um, stra strategies of all kinds, the cleverness. I see. So you're saying these are the pragmatism. Yeah, it's gone and just randomly so that like the Renaissance painters, whatever woman they're painting, it's not because they were seeking some ideal. It's because that's what was available to them. That that's what she looked like. She would look like and. Mm -hmm. Okay. I better. was once in uh, Moscow on one of my trips. My uh, friend, artist, amazing artist. Uh, she asked me to model for her and that I was so flattered and I thought that would be incredible to have yeah. a portrait by a great artist like her and I was um, coming every day to her studio probably for two weeks mm -hmm. and I was sitting for her like this <laughs> and uh, she said well I'm almost done probably tomorrow will be the last day I'll just put finishing touches so I thought, that's great. So I was posing in the sleeveless uh, t-shirt, was that year when it was hot. <laughs> and um, I came the next day, I came in the short sleeve t-shirt and she said, oh, you're wearing different t-shirt. And I said, yeah, but you said you're done. You said you're finished. So finishing touches on the face. She said, yeah, yeah. I thought, doesn't matter. She said, no, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I cannot ignore it. So she started painting on that new T-shirt, like repainting the whole thing. Because in that state of mind, there's no right, right. no ability to decide. The deciding is not available. So I rolled those sleeves like under my bra <laughs> straps and tried to imitate that sleeveless. And that ugliness of rolled sleeves yeah. got expressed in my portrait. I have this portrait with me here. That's awesome. It is so interesting. She really demonstrated to me that state of being when I wasn't in it. Yeah. Because when I'm in it, I can't really describe it. But when I was observing her, hmm. being outside observer, who is not painting, who is cold-minded and pragmatic and analytical, sure. I could actually register that. 
How long do you think until a person can reach this state when they first start painting? Is it to me? It can't I can't believe it can be immediate? Not immediate. Not immediate. But pretty fast. Practicing with practice. It's practice. It's also being able to listen. Interesting that uh, artistic development comes from through the ears, not okay. through practice, not through the hand, not through looking, but through the ears first. Okay. If you're able to listen, if you're able to uh, suppress your filtering, because our brain is constantly filtering, like, yeah, she said that, but I really don't buy that. Or, yeah, she's saying that, but it's not for me. For somebody else, it would be perfect. But that advice, I probably should still do my thing. So if that is filtering, and everybody's doing that, and mm -hmm. the more you are exposed to this method that we're teaching, the, the less of filtering is happening. The more you're opening your mind to whatever you hear, take it on, try it on, mm -hmm. uh, take it in. Um, and you begin to discover that the reality that you had constructed for yourself throughout all your life is very artificial reality, that there's a, the other, another mm -hmm. reality that through listening you begin to access. Mm. And it's interesting that you access that new kind of reality, that absolutely objective, through art, or through philosophy, or through yoga, mm -hmm. or anything that you do on a very deep level, mm -hmm. like deep learning. Yeah, deep learning of physics, or mm -hmm. deep learning of linguistics, or... Yeah, like the flow state, you. I think you're kind of talking about. What people Some describe the flow state, where you're like very focused and everything else melts away and like you lose track of time and you yes, all yes. That, that stuff. that's the state of being but what comes with it is uh the amazing clarity of your place of consciousness right like the, yes that. of understanding who you are why you're here your relationship with others mm. your um ability to change things your ability to change the world yeah and you begin to see your the reason. Have you ever done living. psychedelics before? I have never. Okay. I've never tried it. So looking forward to it. I think you should. I think you would enjoy it. Because I mean, what... And I've only dabbled, but like what, what you're describing is, I think I think the psychedelics help people get there. And we talk about it, and I talk about it on podcasts all the time. Like I'm, I love my meditation, mindfulness. I think it's like something everybody should try. And um, I, I did it for a while. I did like 50 days of doing it daily and I still try to do it so semi regularly. Microdosing? Is that what's called microdosing? No, I'm talking about meditation. Microdosing oh, is Oh, 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 by itself. Without just my, any without drugs. any drugs. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, microdosing is like basically taking a little bit of either mushrooms or LSD and um, not so that you go on some big trip but something happens. And I don't know, there's not much research into microdosing to be fair. So we actually don't know what it does. But in terms of like taking proper dosage of something psychedelic like psilocybin mushrooms or LSD or like these other things like ayahuasca there's like a really rich history of spiritual experiences on it and like all these things that can happen and this, the research that, that I've seen is it can really help people fight depression today like they do medical research on mushrooms um, I read something I just heard something where people rated their mushroom experience as as high as like seeing the birth of their child like that spiritual level of importance 
But, you know, drugs are interesting and it's, they're not really accessible for most people. But meditation um, is accessible for everybody at any point in time right now immediately. And I think it can help achieve what you're describing, this like idea that there's, there's contents of your consciousness. You're not necessarily your thoughts. That you're, you can listen to the world. And one thing you can listen is like, like this happened, whatever. Any noise that's happening, you can't actually control what noises appear in your head. They just happen. And like that's one of the techniques you can use to understand the nature of reality, let's say. So it's fascinating and it takes a lot of work, but I think it's, it's kind of what you're talking about as well, which I... I, I'm so curious how how painting you helps you get that. I might have that to try it. That would be really interesting, totally pure experiment, yeah. pure lab experiment. Yeah. Because you don't have any background in painting, right? None. You don't know whether you have potential or you don't have potential. Right. I claim that you have brilliance. You have sure. no idea what kind of style it's going to be. And you think that style, you have to find that style. Where in fact, you're already born with it. Because right. the style is your, the way you are. It's your yeah. handwriting. It's your yeah. upbringing. It's your history. It's what you ate for breakfast. It's, it's you. It's, it's your how unique. You, it's yeah. everything. Yeah. And you cannot get out of it. You're you're actually born into that style. You right. just never never got exposed to it because you never tried painting. But it's so fascinating where people begin to see what yeah. is their style, like are you a Van Gogh, are you a Brandt, are you right. Picasso, you have no idea. And it has nothing to do with your temperament, of the way you live, you think of yeah. somebody super temperamental, probably they'll be painting with a large brush and, and doing something very um, emotional. And it turns out that they're weaving tiny, delicate, beautiful, amazing things. Like, so it means that inside, they're very delicate soul. Yeah. And it was hidden for them themselves because they're probably brought out in the culture that required of them to be outgoing. Right. Or maybe the whole family was that right. way. So um, interesting how people discover their true self. Um, what's you, you mentioned like you have a method how you teach. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? So yeah. first I want to see what the person does now. Like without any intervention, any techniques, anything saying, so like baseline, they, they give me kind of where they are right now. Uh, how do you do that? Think, well, just draw something, draw me something. Put, Pen, put paper, whatever. Put a lemon whatever. in front of you, like draw this lemon. Okay. For example. And it's enough, enough for me to see where they are, totally. Uh, then I see their weakness and um, teach them that, what I see from their drawing that they don't know. Mm-hmm. That can be done in an hour. What in is that, hour, technique or...? Uh, it is like informing them of how it's done. Like see, it's I'm teaching them to see, which yeah. is how usually our teachers, good teachers teach, teaching people to see, not to paint. Okay. And then you discover that after you know how to see, you just begin to draw and paint. Hmm. You know, all you need is just a few techniques, really, to know how to move the brush or mm-hmm. to move a pencil. Uh, so that takes um, around three months or so mm-hmm. to really inform people, of inform the mind of how to see things and recreate that. So it is the phase of realism where you are 
drawing things exactly as they are. And mm -hmm. that ability gives you control. It means when you mm -hmm. learn how to depict things the way they look, you can now depict things the way you want them to be, or you want to see them, or how they could look, or how you see them in your mind. That, that takes a little longer. But uh, in three months, people are more or less informed and they feel they're comfortable drawing mm -hmm. anything, anything mm -hmm. that they look at. Is it always something you look at or can it be imagined? In the beginning, in the beginning, it has to be from observation. Okay. Because uh, our brain is not designed to retain visual appearance of things. Right. It, it can't. It's really it's, hard, yeah. uh, We have assumptions, we think we know, um, and it's very limiting and very primitive. That's the difference between uh, great masters and naive painters. Mm -hmm. Naive painters are not doing it from looking. Never mm -hmm. learn to look, never mm -hmm. learn to see. They draw from assumption. So those, right. that's how our brain sees the naive artist style. And the great masters learn from observation. They know how reality behaves visually mm -hmm. in front of our eyes. So mm -hmm. they uh, are able to ignore the filtering or suppress the filtering of the brain and just depict the retinal image of things. Mm -hmm. The way it is imprinted, truly, the way it is imprinted. And surprisingly, it has to be taught how, because we don't see what we see. Right. We see what we think we see. And it's a big difference. It's the same about listening, by the way. And through art, you have to also um, help people to learn to listen, to hear what is said, not to hear what they think is said, mm -hmm. or what they would like it to be, uh, what they want it to be, uh, but what was actually said. And it is not the same. How do you give me an example of how you can do that with art? Uh, for example, um, what's the color of the top of the trash can? Well, it should be black, but the slight reflecting of it making it look kind of white. It's not kind of white. It's white. <laughs> See how you're saying it's kind of white because yeah. you uh, the knowledge intervenes with what you see. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and that knowledge has to be expelled. So the uh, oh, one of the things that you have to learn of how to not to know. Hmm. There's interesting uh, sentence that Matisse said once. He said, Henri Matisse, French mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. I've heard of it. He said. Uh, Everything in art begins when you no longer understand or know anything. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. the top of the trash can. Mm. Uh, That's interesting. So it's just a really simple, primitive, very surfacey example. But no, but it, it makes sense. But that's, that's it. It's like we always think that black is black, white is white, and it's always so, at least in the same environment. But the fact that white can be darker than black when they're side by side, it is un unbelievable because through language it's nonsense. Yeah. But through visual experience, that's why art cannot be taught through lectures or mm -hmm. through reading. Mm -hmm. It has to be the visual experience, talking at the same time, mm -hmm. explaining that visual experience, mm -hmm. and trying to depict it. Because without, even when you're listening and um, and seeing it, it's not enough because the practice mm -hmm. doesn't allow your myelin to wrap around that neural connection that, that new knowledge just created in your brain. Mm -hmm. 
So the, the way the new impulse, that connection that happened from the new knowledge received by the mind, by the brain, mm -hmm. it gets uh, reinforced by the myelin wrapping itself around it. And mm -hmm. that is practice. So when these three ingredients are together, observation, listening, and doing, only then the artist is growing, the developing. Without mm -hmm. any of the three, if you're just listening to it, you lose it because it's irrelevant, because you don't really need it. Mm -hmm. When you're depicting it, you need to hear that. Mm -hmm. When you are trying to draw it and um, you're looking but you're not listening, you, uh, it's empty because you, don't, you really don't know mm -hmm. enough. So through listening, you, you begin to know. So it's a lot of uh, uh, counterintuitive things that, uh, not counter, uh, mutually exclusive things that I'm saying. Like I'm saying you have to know, and then when Matisse said, when you stop knowing, is when right. the art occurs. When uh, you begin to learn, you have to know first. Then you have to throw it out. Hmm. Yeah, something you said where, um, like, the meditation techniques I've learned, it's all about, like, observing the, con like, the contents of your mind. Like, not this is, you know, stuff is happening, you're thinking, you're doing things, but like, you just have to observe that. And just like a train passing by. Exactly. Being in the train, being in the Exactly. Room. And that's similar to the art that you described, where like, okay, don't think about this black trash can. Just observe what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Observe mm -hmm. that it's, it looks it like, like it's, okay, it looks Good white. Good or it's bad, white. right or wrong, take it. Right. As and, it is. And that observation, that concept of practicing observation constantly I think that can take you into that mode which you describe which I've totally totally similar yeah. to meditation yeah that's why art making works like meditation in terms of healing for sure being therapeutic people report a total change on their um, of their mood of mm -hmm. the way their relationships it's actually incredibly healing power so it's not just mm dipping a brush in bright colors and messing with it that's what gives us pleasure even that is affecting us on a very deep level because right. different colors affect us uh, differently just like they tell us the science that raising your yeah. corners of your lips and imitating the smile into the mirror somehow affects the brain Actually and makes something you is triggered yeah. that makes you uh, happier yes so interesting that but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about much, much more uh, profound yeah, change yeah, yes. that happens in your entire body. It really uh, is totally addictive, totally addictive. When you get that state, you want to be in that state every day. Mm. I'm talking about art. Yeah, and if you also get a bonus of something that you can put on the wall, that something nice comes out of it as a total side effect of that pleasure of the from process, the process, yeah. uh, then that's double. What happens to most of your students? Do, do they can just do it for their own pleasure and continue doing it for their own pleasure? Do some of them like try to become like gallery artists? Yeah, everybody. Everybody wants to sell it because it naturally happens when you accumulate the amount of art that your all your walls are filled, all yeah. your there's no more your garage is filled and then somebody asks you like can I buy it from you like yeah mm -hmm. and so you begin to sell it begins to sell it's uh, like 
happens. Happens. Without, I, I had a student who uh, came to me and said, okay, I don't need the money, I don't need to sell anything, I just want to learn as much as possible. And he was 83 when he came to me, a scientist, PhD scientist. Yeah. He said, I, I'm just, I want to know about art, I want to understand it, I want to understand the artist's mind, I want to learn as much as possible. And so he started coming to classes, and once he was painting this portrait of some neighbor that uh, he liked the photograph, so he was painting from the photograph, and another person from the same class said, I love this, can I buy it from you? And he's like, hmm, never expected to sell anything. He wanted to paint for himself only. Yeah, he yeah, loved yeah. everything he was painting and drawing. And he has this principle, when somebody wants something really bad, it has to hurt a little bit. <laughs> so he said, um, twenty five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the person said, uh, "Will you take payments?" He said, "Yeah." <laughs> wow. And so he sold it. Never expected to sell it. And then he sold um, a few more. What's like once the artist created? What do you think is then its? I mean, purpose maybe is the wrong word, but like, once you have this piece of art, what do you want to happen to it, in your mind? As an artist, you mean? Sure. What do you want? You want it to be in good hands. You want it to be uh, owned by someone who likes it. So is it like it. looks at it? It's like is the piece really of really enjoys it. Really What's the purpose it. of it? Just to just to be, have it be enjoyed. The purpose of the artist. Uh, the purpose of the art. Like once the art piece exists and. Mm. For example, I'm an art collector. Okay. How, why do I own pieces that I own? Yeah, right? that's a great. Do you have I, them on your wall or do you have them in a dark closet sometimes? No, I have them on my wall. I have to see them. I okay. have to look at so them. So looking at them is it important. Gives me, it gives me uh, pleasure to look at them, but it's not just pleasure. It uh, uh, restates my, uh, all my beliefs. It gives me, it sustains me mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. uh, but the art I admire... I think that the best art for me, I believe that best art is the one when you look at it, you don't know how it's done. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how it's done. How is it possible to be in that state of mind for your hand to move that way, or for your colors to be placed the way they were? Like, it's total enigma. That's the best art. Interesting. When I see how it's done, it's less... Yeah. interesting to me so that's what I own I own pieces that I can look and look and look and trying to get into the mind of the artist and I can't do you own pieces of your own making I do okay do you know how those were made but they're still fun to have I do but I look at them for a different reason well, I look at them and see okay I need to put it back on my easel <laughs> because that area is screaming Mm. Needs something. <laughs> I can see. You always try to like perfect it. So uh, you yeah, would put up a I painting, do. and then it six is. months later, you'll put it on the easel, and you'll touch it up. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Bonnard, Pierre Bonnard. Do you? I don't you know. Him, no. French artist, um, times of Matisse. Okay. He uh, was known for that. He would sneak into his own exhibition or in a museum for example the painting already in the museum already purchased yeah. by a museum and he would sneak with a tiny palette and 
little paints because when it's in the frame <laughs> and illuminated in the museum you can really see what it means right, right. and he, he was not allowed in there because people would, uh, would really protect their paintings like we don't want you to mess with something that is mm -hmm. already in our catalog Mm -hmm. And he would still, he would sneak in and when it was, he was able to fix it, he was happy like a child. That's awesome. You have your family also like in the business, like your daughters are in the art. Mm -hmm. Both teach. And Both paint. teach and paint. Mm -hmm. And did you like, did you start them in the very beginning too? Like you guys are building like a... Um, what do you call it? Uh, what like a dynasty? Dynasty. That's exactly <laughs> the word I was looking for. Thank you. An Not art really. dynasty. Not really. But um, it's just they were exposed from early age to me painting all the time, and my husband wasn't a yeah. painter, wasn't even close to art. But then he would see all the people coming to my classes, becoming amazing artists, and he finally realized am i missing out yeah and so he joined the class too he's a painter now he's yeah. amazing oh i'm sure Actually, amazing painter uh, everything everybody who comes in touch with me becomes an artist sooner or later that's just, <laughs> just that <laughs> sounds it like is. i'm going to become an artist <laughs> because that energy uh of um it's like why not if it's available why not it's yeah. just silly to miss out because yeah. you begin to realize sooner or later that you're missing out. And the medium doesn't matter. The medium, medium doesn't matter. The yeah. beginning doesn't matter. And then eventually you have to try everything just okay. to find yours. Okay, that makes like sense. I'm, for example, one of the classes that I teach, uh, how to hold the brush the wrong way. So I teach 12 different ways to hold the brush the wrong way. What is wrong way? It's not yours. It's other than yours. So your natural way to hold the brush like a pen, for example. Right. But you will be surprised how many natural wrong ways there are. So people will learn 12 other than theirs. And interestingly, hmm. that many people discover their favorite among those wrong ways. They abandon their own because it wasn't their favorite. It was just the only one day that occurred to them. Right thinking huh. that the pen and the brush is the same way to hold, or the pencil. And it turns out there are others with much more intention. For example, if you hold the brush, let's say, all the wrong objects yeah. laying around here, like like this, like Chinese... Uh, Chopsticks? No, no. Oh, like the a, uh, like fountain a, pen or something? No, like a hi hi hieroglyph. Oh, yeah, hieroglyph, yeah. Like calligraphy. Yes, calligraphy, there you a go. A Japanese uh, artist, yeah. Chinese artist. In, in, it's like you hold uh, your your uh, finger on the top, and it's delicate, and it's vertical. So it allows the ink to, to flow down, and you kind of work with this river of paint that happens, guiding it with your senses. Mm-hmm. So it's not the mind, it's your entire body and the way mm -hmm. you sit with it. So it's one way. And nobody holds the brush that way if you're born here. Right. Then another way is to hold it like a ice pick. Who holds the brush this way? Okay. You, you hold that way when you pound your fist on the table or you, you, you want to break something. Mm -hmm. But that creates a very interesting intentionality. It's like this is how it's going to be. Mm. 
So it affects your painting in a very interesting way, or your drawing in a very interesting way when you hold this way. Mm. So something with that held, with that grip, changes your brain, inside of the brain, with mm. that. And so you're working with a different kind of mindset. Mm. So it changes the mindset. When you hold the brush this way, like, so let me see, let me try. Yeah. It may not work. Well, I'm willing to try. Yeah. So it's kind of like offering uh, to a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the process. Huh. And so on. And so there are 12 that they can I love with. it. And maybe more. Yeah. And one is when you're holding the brush to the very end, so it's almost loose. You're like not controlling yeah. it because it's like a pendulum. Yeah. Almost this is the very. The, the, so yeah. it has a very light touch, very feathery touch to it. And it comes with, like, I don't insist. Let's see. And do you change your style, like, depending on what you want to draw? Or. I propose that to yeah. my students when they're stuck to change everything. Yeah. To change the grip mm. of the brush, to change your palette, to how you place your colors, which colors you choose, and to change your mind also. It's also possible mm. to come with a different mindset. Like, what mm -hmm. kind of mindset, for example? Instead of wanting to do something valuable or something good, try to do something bad, really lousy, like yeah. really, really uh, like throwaway piece. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the best. Of course, always, right? Because they're loose, they don't care. Mm -hmm. The ego goes away. The internal critic goes away. Oh, the internal critic. God damn, that critic. Somehow I want to give it a mind, but he's always there. Maybe the art can help. Um, we It'll be fun to try, right? And I, report, I think so. And to report on that. I will do that. That's a promise. Uh, so the first class is will be on Saturday. Saturday. At 12 o'clock. I'm in. And then it's the same class that you teach. But it's not this Saturday. It's first Saturday of the every month. month. Oh, okay. So we just had it. We just had it. So this Yesterday. will be September. Yesterday. That's right. And it's the same class, kind of the introduction class. Exactly the same class. Even though people, some people came seven times. Like yesterday, there was a girl there who yeah. it was her seventh. Yeah. She just uh, likes, it. likes it. And she said, until I... Uh, understand everything that you're doing and I can recreate it myself, I will be attending. Coming back. But it is, um, oh, I was, I forgot to say when you asked me, how do I teach? The first thing that I do or after the baseline. person showed me the baseline, the second thing, I show them something that impresses them because I have to establish the trust. Mm -hmm. that I am someone that they can right. listen to right. and they believe. So that impressive, it's like magician. If the, uh, the magic trick is impressive, you realize that's a real thing. That's a real... Uh, so what do you show thing. them? A, a few, you will okay, see. Okay, exactly. On, on Don't ruin it to me. That's exactly, it's exactly what you will see. Um, how, tell people how they can find the class again. It's, uh... it's Prima Materia Art Institute. You go on the website, and I'll link it material in the notes. Website, yeah. and then you find that called Drawing Made Easy. Hmm. In it's a one hour class at 12 o'clock, and with that class, you truly completely you uh, cross the threshold from not knowing to feeling, Oh, I know how to. I draw. think, yeah, and it's free, so everybody should do it. I'm gonna it's do free, it. It's free, it's free. Yeah. What is it, 2 p.m. or 12? 12. 12 Pacific, awesome. 
Um, your dad did a lot of sorry this is a thought I'm coming back to your dad did a lot of um, children's illustration children books illustrations mm-hmm. right and I had this crazy thought I, I think I might have told you like so when I was a kid I would watch the Cipollino cartoon mm-hmm. which I'm sure you know what it is mm-hmm. right Yeah. and for people that don't know it's based on like this Italian fairy tale and it's um, fruits and vegetables that are kind of in human form and it's kind of about the proletariat versus you know the bad wealthy I don't know whoever's in control Lord Tomato anyway super popular Russian cartoon and I have this idea of using a children's book or a book with drawings to like teach I think teach kids maybe adults but teach kids like some some lessons and um, I, and I'm not even sure what lesson I want to teach yet. Something about maybe like entrepreneurship, like don't work for the man, build your own thing. I think that's an interesting lesson to teach. I don't know if a ten year old, I don't know, like who reads children's books, like six year olds, seven year olds. Can they even grasp three, that? Three, three year olds. I'm sure. Yeah. So, I guess my if there is a question, the question is, do you? In the ch- children's book, art is super important, right? Because, I mean, they can't read that well. Um, and do you think children are able to, like, take some lessons away from these ch- children's books with illustrations? And, I don't know, do you have any ideas for... Um, How to teach them life lessons? That's yeah. what fairy tales do. That fairy, fairy tales, my uh, father respected fairy tales, Russian fairy tales specifically not only uh, uh, for that because they're amazing life lessons yeah with a moral so it's possible and it's like, it and then you draw the, it to make it interesting that's yeah. the purpose of the fairy tale okay the folk fairy tales they always teach you lessons like what about like what's a fairy tale in today's world like do you think a lesson of teaching someone to be an entrepreneur is a valuable lesson or I guess maybe it's not for everybody but it's for some I, people I think that instead of teaching them directly what you think they need instead what you want is open their mind okay the ability to think for themselves the ability to yeah, like analyze that. things yeah. to look deeper into things right. that's what art does and that's what literature does reading yeah. does that so instead of feeding them what you With want a specific them to learn, thing you want them to discover their own way hmm Interesting. So, so, teach, but so then you're teaching them to be like a free thinker somehow. Exactly. That's exactly what yeah. I do right. with art. Yeah. I wonder if I can design a children's book that can do that. I don't know why I want that to, but I want to. That would be very interesting. Pavel Object, the Little Potato. Actually. So I'm Pavel. So I wanted to be like Cipollino. I wanted to be fruits and vegetables. And I'm Pavel the Little Potato. That, you know, I'm a little immigrant that comes over to the United States of America, land of freedom. <laughs> and... Was it Jenny Rodari? Do you remember? It is Rodari. Rodari. My father was friends with him. No shit. That's mm-hmm. fucking cool. Excuse my French. <laughs> that's cool. Did he, your father speak Italian? No. Did Rodari speak Russian? How would they communicate? I wonder. Oh, I communicate. My gosh. Uh, through drinking, through friends, <laughs> uh, through interpreter, probably. Yeah. Because Rodari was super popular in, in the Soviet Union. It was. Yeah. We had all of his books, of course. Josamino, have you heard? No, of I only know Cipollino. Ah. So there's more. Oh, yes. And, and it's all like fairy all tales? My They're fiction. Fiction, for sure. Kids. Yeah, fiction Beautiful. for kids. 
Like, uh, what's oh. the smell of the jobs? The smell of the jobs? Have you? No. Zapach uh, работ? Oh, interesting. That's like a famous one, huh? Mm-hmm. I have to look it up. Um, okay. So now, with my soon newfound art technique and this idea, maybe I can put it all together. Maybe that could be you my, totally can. my totally final can. goal is to do this. Uh, Very, uh, a lot of people are coming to the art class with the objective to illustrate their own story. Like they have a children's book and they tried Interesting. Uh, illustration uh, illustrators they tried hiring and they really annoyed that it's not what they see right. that's right. not exactly right. the person doesn't understand them or the style is wrong or the person doesn't care enough so that kind of um, not being in sync mm. and so they finally say i want to do it myself and that's what they do okay i'm excited um the show has like a couple of recurring segments, which I'm, since you've heard some episodes, you know, like we have the segment called Hot Tips, where you can give any advice, it can be absolutely anything to the audience. Um, and you already gave a ton of advice about art. I think everybody should try out the class for sure. But yeah, any any hot, oh, that's hot tips, so hard. hot tips, anything you want. Like maybe it's a, it can be a book, it can be a song, it can be a dish people should try. It can be anything you want to recommend to the world. Mm. Read books. How about that? <laughs> no, I mean, that's a good one. Do you have one in particular? Um, yeah. Joseph and His Brothers by Thomas Mann. What's it the about? Book. It's the best. If I ever have to go to prison, I would take this book with me. One. <laughs> Just oh. one. Because there's so much in it. It's like he's describing in the book how looking about looking deeper into things it's like unwrapping reality mm-hmm. and that book is like that mm. you can read it multiple times and it's like unwrapping it you find things that you never saw before mm-hmm. because at this point of your life this is important and mm-hmm. it wasn't before so you didn't notice mm-hmm. it or kind of dismissed it or forgot it it's amazing do you know where it's set like it's what? about joseph the ancient story the ancient of story. Joseph the, the okay. handsome, the yeah. beautiful, whatever. Yeah. The, I read it in Russian, so I don't. It's a biblical know. story. Right? It is. Yeah. It is. And After Thomas reading Mann, it, you 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 will think, oh, now I know how it was. Is is uh, is man from England? Is he American? Where is he from? Thomas Mann. Thomas Mann, German. Yeah. Germany, cool. I went once to uh, Tbilisi in Georgia, in Russia, one of the Russian republics used to be Soviet. Republic. Yeah, I want to go to Tbilisi. It sounds like it's oh, beautiful. Amazing, amazing place. Tell oh us about gosh. that. Yeah. And we we uh, were we lived in the apartment invited us a um, family of musicians. They were teaching in the conservatory. Mm-hmm. The professor, the father was a professor. And his wife was a art player and uh, they introduced us to the two brother of Balanchin, Balanchivadze is Balanchin, the ballet. Oh okay, yeah. Famous yeah, ballet yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dancer. Uh, who is Balanchivadze in uh, his real name. Okay, that's cool. His brother. So we went to his apartment, it was very interesting to see all the heirlooms of Balanchin in there. Yeah. So it's in Tbilisi in Georgia. And um, why am I? Oh, we're just talking about the, the right, right. In the museum, we went to the museum. We always go to this uh, local museums to see artifacts, and I see the 
princess that is described, I, and I just read Thomas Mann, and I was under its influence, and I saw that princess, ancient Egyptian princess, the mummy of her, laying there, so under the glass, I could see her face, mm -hmm. her beautiful teeth. That's crazy, yeah. And you could see beautiful, like Nefertiti-like mm -hmm. features. And I couldn't believe it. It says Mutemenet. That's the name of the Egyptian princess. Mm -hmm. so she's here? How come nobody told me that she's here? I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, was it doing Belisi even? Yes, how? I had no idea, but it was like the most profound thing. Like she's there. If you read the story, she yeah. is the one who was a wife of Potiphar. Okay. Do you, do you know the story? No. Read it then. I will have to read it, yes. And she is the one who fell in love with Joseph. That's the one that in Rembrandt's paintings she's pulling on his, she wants him. Oh, okay. And she's pulling on his clothes, trying to lure him in her bed, mm. and he escapes. Mm. And um, that's the classic mm. subject that you see in many painters. I have, painters. See, I have, I can imagine that painting for sure. What are, what are some awesome things about Bidisi? Awesome things are people. They're friendly. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. As my dad would always joke that. Uh, three Russian men, when they gather together, they drink vodka. What else would they do? The three right. people. That's that's the exact portion of the bottle, yeah. right? Divided yeah. by three. And three German men, when they get together, they sing. <laughs> and what they, they sing? They sing beautifully. Yeah. Uh, Georgian people sing beautifully. Have you ever heard Georgian singing? Only like Mimi, no? <laughs> that that, that <laughs> is, is another thing that you want to discover for yourself. It will be total revelation. Yeah. Beautiful, because they harmonize in three... It's, like, it's part of their culture, huh? Mm -hmm. Everybody sings there. Singing, good food, good wine, friendly people. Sounds like I, a place to I, visit. I learned their alphabet, and one day I learned to read Georgian, because it's total hieroglyphs to right. uh, somebody who is uh, only speaking Russian and English. Right. It would be a completely foreign. Yeah, alphabet. I've seen it. It's like very like. But I, since I beautiful. teach how to learn different things, yeah. I invented a system for myself how to uh, memorize these letters. Yeah. So I took each letter and attached association to each letter, mm -hmm. and it allowed me to remember it. Like L, for example, is like this with a tail down. So mm -hmm. since it's L. My association was Lis Kvastom Vnis, a fox with a face down, yeah, with yeah, a yeah. tail down. Yeah. And that allowed me to remember L, for example, and so on. I love it. Yeah, no, it's. it's and uh, so I was able to, the next day, I was able to read the names of restaurants and streets. I don't remember letters now. I mean, yeah. I barely remember them. But I, I, I'm sure it will come back if I had to have no practice. So the mileage didn't amazing. get prepped. Yeah, I remember like remembering words by imagining and like painting a picture inside my head when I was like studying for the SATs, for example, I'm trying to like remember defenestration, which means like to throw something out the window. I can still remember it. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think is going to happen to this world in the next couple of years? What do you think people? should be trying to do besides obviously it sounds like everybody should try art because it's a human thing that we well, should all experience try art and all that is good and read all that is good but i think the most important to be kind yeah i wish i was all my life 
to be kind? I wasn't. I didn't. Nobody told me. <laughs> what does so, it mean to be kind? Do you think? To be kind is means to feel for others, do to others, onto others what you want done yeah. to you. Yeah, I think that's really good. I try to be kind. You seem like a kind person too. <laughs> Everybody, be kind. Find Olya at Prima Materia. Prima Materia Institute. It means primary matter in Latin. And what does Prima that mean? Materia. Primary matter. The beginning of everything. Oh, like the Big matter. Bang. If you like in alchemy, it's those essential elements yeah. that everything is made of. But prima materia of language, for example, you can say there's a letters or there's sounds or there's yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Like prima materia is a metaphor for many things. Prima but materia we, institute San Diego. Yeah, we the consider best. that the beginning of everything, which is where you begin your journey if you want to develop your have you know those like um, there's like basically it's, to me it feels like a date idea where people you, uh, people go on a date and they provide you with like a thing and, and you kind of paint in a bar you've seen it I'm sure it happens oh paint and wine yeah paint and wine mm -hmm. yeah what do you think about that oh it's entertainment has nothing to do with art okay yeah has nothing to do with anything I mean it's not it's great <laughs> it's just fun, fun. yeah um, I was thinking maybe if I do that, I'd become an artist, but no, I think you say that's oh, not right. No, no, no. <laughs> you get further away from art if you go to that than yeah. if you don't ever touch a brush. Interesting. It's misleading that, you, that you're painting. You're not painting. You're just uh, is, making a picture. Is making art something that, I mean, I think we already know the answer. It's not something you do with a partner immediately. It's something that's, like you describe it as... A very personal thing that's happening by yourself, right? Not by yourself. Always with a mentor. You cannot get it by yourself. Just sure. because you can never see that that uh, lid of right. the trash can is white right. by yourself. Somebody has to tell you that. So the, it's so much of counterintuitive things. Yeah. Because art deals with optical illusions. Mm. Everything that we see is an optical illusion. Do you think art is a good investment? Like buying paintings? Yeah, buying paintings. No, it isn't because you have to know what you're doing to for it to be a good investment. You can buy something, and I've seen that people will with large collections that you can even our museum of art, our San Diego Museum of Art that has contains jewels yeah. of art, amazing. It also has junk. Of course, there's a giant trash bin uh, <laughs> behind the museum, and some paintings belong there. In the museum, hanging right now on the walls. Yeah, you can just take it and... How's that judged? How do we... I mean, maybe you think you it's trash, but you someone else thinks it's beautiful, no? No, you, you... There's objective truth? You begin to be able to judge when you become an artist. You develop that ability to see. The ability to see is not only seeing that trash can being white right. on top uh, when it's black. It's the ability to see what's true, what's good, hmm. what's real. Interesting. What's so, done by a talent, what's done by a fake. Are you selling any paintings right now? Hmm? Are you selling any paintings right now? Um, no. My students are constantly selling no, you, their paintings. I want your paintings to as an investment. I was thinking, this wall needs something. So, oh, it sure, oh, sure does. Oh, totally. I mean, it's very nice. I love the way they are. She made me put them this way. I, I love that. I love that little composition. We, we, but to find large painting wouldn't would give this room presence. Uh, I like that idea. Maybe it's something I can do myself. Yeah, that would be the best. Right. To create your own art. 
No, but I'm thinking investment. I'm thinking like, can we? Can I find an artist oh, that's not discovered yet? Absolutely. And like discover great it. Investment, yes. But the best way is to first uh, learn learn art, art. Uh, so then you can judge art. That's fair. To be able to judge and then buy from a young artist who don't appreciate their own work, right? And don't price it high yet, so you buy it fresh from the easel. But you begin to watch those people. Right. Those talented people, you have to see if they're perseverant, if it's not, if they're not lazy, if they just painted one painting and will never do anything again, go into drinking. So you have to kind of watch their lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So investment is uh, kind of a process when it's you have not to, easy. Look, to look into it. And good collectors do that. They really watch artists. They don't immediately. Well, sometimes they do buy, and even I buy from my students yeah, sometimes yeah, sometimes it doesn't I see something brilliant I, you uh, want it, I yeah. buy it yeah. or um, if I see something that I thought and that expre- was expressed so well maybe not great painting but really hurt me mm-hmm. and I, I mm-hmm. buy it as an example of the lesson that's pretty cool um, hey thank you so much for doing it we learned a lot check out Prima Materia Institute in San Diego on Google. Um, check out Thomas Mann, Jake, Thomas Mann, Thomas Mann, Joseph and his two and his brothers. And, his brothers. and um, be kind to each other, people. Thank you very much. Thank you.